Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, church. All right. So, as you can see from uh, the reading this morning, we are uh, going to be finishing up the Festival of Booths. Uh, we're at the uh, very end of chapter 7 here. And um, as we started this last week, Jimmy kind of introduced the Festival of Booths to us, or the Festival of Tabernacle, depending on your translation or how you might have heard it in the past. Um, it was basically just a time to re- for uh, the Israelite people to remember what God had done to them, uh, for them, excuse me, in the wilderness. So that was the point of the entire festival. That's why everyone had gathered. Um, The other thing that Jimmy kind of touched on for us the last week that I just want to kind of remind us of is this idea of of right judgment or having a right judgment for, um, sorry, or discernment, right, was another word that was used. And uh, we, in order to have this this right judgment for for each other and be able to, you know, properly discern the word and everything, as Jimmy was kind of teaching us last week, uh, there's one important way that we we do this, and that is that we actually, you know, get into the word, right? And we trust the word. We judge everything by the word because as I'm up here, I may be, you know, be speaking everything. I may have your attention for the next, you know, 25 to 30 minutes or something like that, right? Everything. But let's be honest, and you know, I'm, I'm not offended at all, but by two o'clock right after lunch, you may only remember 5% of what I said this morning, right? Um, I mean, that's just the honest truth of it. So whenever we are wanting to have a right judgment, whenever we are wanting to properly discern, right, we want to focus on what is actually said in the Bible. So as I am getting into the message this morning, what I would encourage everyone to do is if you look at the little rack in the chair in front of you, there is a black Bible there. Um, at least there should be. And if, if there is one, I would encourage you, or if you don't have one yourself, to open that up. Please follow along with us this morning. And you're not going to offend me at all, actually, as I'm talking if you are like reading a little before or maybe a little after, right? And you're kind of unpacking and reading that for yourself. Because as, you, as you're reading that word, that's going to get into your spirit. That's going to get into your memory a whole lot more than anything I'm going to say this morning. Okay? And, and that's something just us as shepherds, we want to say like the weight of things that we teach, the weight of things that we say start in the word. Okay? So we want to put the emphasis there. All right. So please feel free to follow along with us this morning. Um, one thing that we need to make sure of um, is <clears throat> we like to use the phrase often is, you know, let's get into the word, let's get into the passage and really see what Jesus has to say for us. Right. And I think that's something we like to say. But I, if you think that's kind of a weird phrase, because um, even though, you know, the Bible was written for all people for all time, we, we weren't necessarily the audience. Right. The, the, the audience that Jesus was speaking to at the time, the, the Israelites and everything, the people in Jerusalem, they, they lived very differently than us. And I don't mean that simply that, you know, like they didn't have an iPhone. <laughs> I, I mean, like just environmentally, like r- literally where they lived was very different than how we live. Um, <clears throat> I know if you've ever seen pictures or anything like that of like the, the area of Jerusalem and all that, but it's, it's a desert, right? Um, there, there's, there's small pockets of what we consider like kind of oasis type places, and, but mostly Jerusalem and that area, the Middle East, it's, it's a desert, okay? Now, we, we don't have that here, obviously. You know, here we're in the, like the north part of the Ozarks. We don't have the concern of deserts and sand everywhere. Thank goodness. I hate sand. But um, we, we don't have that here, okay? Um, now, those that, you know, don't know this, and I know we have m- many guests this morning, which is great, and, and, and welcome, welcome. Uh, but so my, my wife, Sarah, sitting over here, so she grew up in, um, in the desert, 
So she grew up in uh, Nevada, not Nevada, don't get confused, uh, but Nevada, okay, out in, out in the West, everything. And, um, you know, she, she talks all the time about, like, how pretty it is out there. And uh, I, I don't disagree with that. Like, you see pictures all the time. You see, like, you know, Joshua Tree, uh, the Arcs National Park, Grand Canyon. Um, even to an extent, ironically, Death Valley has a certain, like, beauty to it, Right? So it's a, it's a very pretty area, very beautiful area, a lot of colors in the rock and everything. But if you live in the desert, and this isn't just my opinion, I think everyone would agree, the desert is a harsh and hard place to live. And the reason being is there, there's not much water, right? That's one of the key things about a desert. There's not a lot of water. <laughs> and so something like a habit that Sarah picked up um, because she lived out there and her brother as well that you'll notice is she doesn't go anywhere without water. She always has a water bottle with her. Um, and it's, it's, like I said, it's a habit she picked up because she grew up out there. She understood that <laughs> whenever there's never water around, you make sure you have it with you. And it, it's really fun to actually kind of watch that habit trickle down into our kids uh, who have never seen the desert before. <laughs> Uh, but yet they can't leave the house without water, without a water bottle. Now, now me, I grew up at Lake of the Ozarks. So I literally grew up on the lake. I, I don't have that same anxiety <laughs> about leaving the house without water. You know, like, we'll, we'll, we'll go make like a quick trip to Walmart or something like that. And the kids will be like, Dad, do you bring any water? I was like, no, we're going to be gone for like 30 minutes. You're, you're fine, you know. But for them, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal to have water. Like if, if I leave the house and forget the water and refuse to go back and get it, you would swear I like sentenced them to capital punishment. Like, how could you leave the house without water, Dad? Like, it, it's easy. You just leave. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's a water fountain at Walmart. Come on, you know, but if you if, when you grow up in that kind of environment You understand that water equals life You understand that Okay, you understand that if there is a lack of water if, if that is if nowhere around That is a life or death situation So you always have to be worried about where your next drink comes from you always have to be worried about that because like I said It's a life or death situation. That's what it means to grow up in the desert So when Jesus is talking to these people when he's talking to everyone that has gathered for this festival And he has all of their attention. He doesn't say something like come to me and I will save you. I will rescue you from your sins. He doesn't say any phrase like that. Now, the first thing he says is, if you thirst, come to me. Because he recognizes that they understand what thirst really means. They understand that water literally is a life or death situation. And Jesus is saying, I am your life. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the word today. Um, we thank you for the life you've given us. We thank you for your atonement and for your sacrifice for us. Lord, we just ask that you speak to us today through your word, through your spirit. May it bring to remembrance later, Lord, in times of need. Remind us that there are things that we pursue in this life. And it means to quench our thirst, Lord. And we need to fully understand that you're the only one that can do that. 
Please bless the word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said earlier, please turn with me to John chapter 7. And we're going to go through uh, what we had actually just read a little bit. We're going to kind of unpack this a little bit. Uh, like I said, so we are in the latter part. We are still going through the Festival of Booths. We are actually in this particular passage or group of scripture. We're actually at the end of the Festival of Booths. Um, and literally it says that it is the last day or it is the great day. And we'll unpack that a little bit more and what that means. Uh, this is one of the bigger festivals that the Israelite people would have celebrated. Um, so there's, uh, I think, three festivals that would have made... Um, people travel actually back to Jerusalem to celebrate, and this would be one of them. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. And uh, let's go ahead and read, uh, actually starting on verse 37 one more time. On the last day of the feast, the great day, like I said, hold on to that, we'll, we'll unpack that here in just a moment. Uh, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So as we said, this is one of the bigger festivals, right? It's the top three um, that people would have traveled back to Jerusalem. So needless to say, Jerusalem would have been just absolutely packed. The population could have tripled with the amount of people that would have traveled back in order to have this celebration of booths, okay? So we're talking a ton of people. So it would make sense that whenever Jesus would try to get people's attention, he would have to stand up, like get kind of box, stand up at a higher place, right? And shout and get really loud in order to get people people's attention, okay? That, that would make total sense, but the thing is, the, the term cried out here, it, it, it's a little deeper than that, right? It's a little bit more than just speaking loudly, okay? Um, so it's actually the, <clears throat> excuse me, it's actually the original Greek word krezos, um, which literally means to cry out or proclaim, okay, is actually one of the more, or cry out in, uh, <clears throat> man, I am really struggling here, cry out with vengeance, is the word here. So Jesus isn't just speaking loudly. He isn't just raising his voice to get their attention. There's an element of this where he's getting emotional, okay? He is trying to get their attention with how he speaks and what he's talking about, not simply the volume of his voice. And the reason of that is... You shouldn't have left your house without walking. <laughs> it's very true, very true. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I deserve that. Uh, <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> so he, he's speak, not just speaking loudly, right? He's speaking with a lot of emotion. Okay, he's trying to get their attention. But wh why do we think he's speaking with so much emotion? Well, he mentions that a little bit earlier when he says, I will only be with you a little while longer. So Jesus is sensing, he's understanding that we are at the end. We're at towards the end of our ministry here on earth. As Jimmy was talking to us last time, we was talking about a timeline. Like we're only like six months out from him dying on a cross, right? He's, he's feeling that. He's like, we're running out of time. I'm running out of time. I got to get their attention. I got to get them to understand. I got to get them to understand. And if you saw from the passage before this, everyone's asking a bunch of questions, right? They're like, is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? Is the guy who's going to come after this really going to do more signs than him? Like they're just asking all these questions. There's, there's a cloud of confusion. And then even the church leaders that should have a firm understanding of all this, they don't get it either. They're completely confused, right? The Pharisees aren't seeing what's in front of them. They're not recognizing him as the Messiah at all. It's just this huge cloud of confusion, and Jesus is, is feeling this from the people and he's trying to step into it and talk into it with passion. 
Um, so actually earlier this week, uh, something really interesting kind of happened to me at work. And <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, so it was really interesting. Um, I got up from my uh, desk and was handing back, walking back into the break room. And I was carrying my coffee mug with me. I just finished a cup of coffee. I was going to walk back there. I was just going to, time to wash it up, get it all cleaned up, right? So I get in there. I get into the break room. And I walk in there. Like I said, I got my coffee mug with me. Now, the, the coffee mug I have at work is a, it's kind of important, okay? It's a 50th anniversary Star Trek collector coffee mug, okay? And it's kind of a big deal, <laughs> All right, and so I mean, it's got like all of the ships on on the on the mug here. Everything from the original Enterprise from like the 1960s all the way up to like Star Trek Voyager. It doesn't have Star Trek Enterprise on it because that, that's not a real Enterprise. But um, it has pretty much all of them on there. Okay, and it, it's this dark blue has big Star Trek letters across the top of it, big 50th anniversary. You don't care, but you get the point that it's a Star Trek mug, okay? And so I walk in there, and it's very obvious what it is, and I'm sitting there cleaning my mug out. Some other guy walks in, he starts getting a cup of coffee, and he looks down, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, Star Trek. He goes, now, do, are you more of a fan of the, the original or, like, the new ones? And I was like, well, you know, I, I, I like them both, to be honest with you. I'm not one of those guys just like, ah, now the new ones, those are gross. Or I, I do, I like them both. Um, I, I watch them all, you know? He goes, yeah. He goes, I like the new ones and the old ones too. They, they all, they're all really good. Yeah, I think they're, they're good for what they are. And everything. I'm like, yeah. So we, we proceeded to have a 60-second conversation exchanging pleasantries about the new and the old shows and everything like that. And then finally, in one fail swoop, he offends everyone in the room simultaneously by simply saying, yeah, probably my favorite Star Trek was Empire Strikes Back because that's when we first meet Spock. And that joke is lost on some of you, which is okay. Uh, uh, Empire Strike Back is Star Wars, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so it, it was, I was a little speechless, to be honest, at the moment. I was just like, it, yeah, that was an okay one, too. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I didn't like try to correct him. I was just like, yeah, yeah, enjoy your day, weirdo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, he, so he walks out, and I mean, it was just this like, what just happened, you know? Because when it comes down to it, he was confused, right? He was just incredibly confused. He had general knowledge of, okay, there's, there's, there's Star Trek thing that exists. There's the Star Wars thing that people believe in that has this false religion, right? And then there's, oh, there's all of these things that are blended together, and I'm just going to create this, this sci-fi like cocktail in my mind just so I can have conversation with people or whatever. I don't really care, right? And it's just this general knowledge that's created this confusion inside of him. And this same type of cloud of confusion of people just having this, well, I don't know. Is he the Messiah? I don't know. There's all these signs. Well, is he going to have any more signs? And all these people are just utterly confused. And it's the same kind of idea. It's just like they understand, but they don't. And that's what Jesus is trying to step into and speak into and just try to correct and correct the ship and be like, none of this matters. If you thirst, come to me. Don't get all the right answers first, right? Don't, don't get everything correct first. Come to me. 
because you don't have a shot of getting it right until you do. That confusion is just going to linger and you're just going to have one question after another, after another, after another. Your life is not going to make sense. You're just going to have one question after another, after another, after another with some shallow answer that the world can provide you through social media until you come to Christ and figure out nothing makes sense apart from him. Nothing makes sense apart from him. Jesus steps into this festival. And at first he was, he almost made it seem like he was hesitant to go. If you had listened last week, he seemed like, ah, it's just, it's not the right time. But Jesus steps in and starts this teaching about thirst. Let's read that verse. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When Jesus says it's not the right time, right, he didn't mean like it's not the right time to go. He means it's not the right time to go now because now it sure seems the timing is perfect. Like I said, we were going to circle back around to this because this is the final day and this is the great day of the festival. So let's unpack a little bit about what they're supposed to be remembering in the festival for just a second, okay? Um, And this will kind of make sense and I'll kind of connect here. Uh, Let's go to Exodus 17, verses 5 through 6. Okay, I'm going to give you a moment to flip there. Uh, Like I said, I do want you to follow along, okay? It will be on the screen behind me, but please follow. Gives me a moment to take a drink of my much needed water. Okay. Exodus 17, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Hurub, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Um, I want to read Leviticus 23, uh, 23 verse 34, just real quick. Um, This is the actual, like, law that was created to tell people to actually have the festival and give a reason on on why they're doing it in general, okay? It says that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The whole point of this festival was to remind them of what God had done in Exodus 17. In that time, whenever they they left and were saved, right, from slavery from Egypt. This is kind of a core memory for these people, okay? They were rescued from Egypt, rescued from slavery, and sent out into the wilderness where God provided for them. And not just just water, right? He provided bread of heaven called manna, right? And, and, And the water. He provided both, provided for all of their physical needs in that way. 
So this festival is happening, and they're being reminded of this. This is what's fresh on their mind during the festival. This is top of mind here. And, and like I said, so we are on the final day. And the, why the final day is so important is because the final day is when they had the water pouring ceremony. Now, the, the water pouring ceremony is actually not recorded in Leviticus when it's talking about having the festival. It's not recorded in scripture. It's, it's a tradition that was added on later. Okay? But it's called the water pouring ceremony. And what, in essence, what it would be is the priest would go out and go to a special pool and go in and dip the water out of the pool and then head back to the temple by way of the water gate, which was actually named after this particular ceremony. So it would go through the water gate, back into the temple, pour the water out into a sacrificial basin, okay? And this would be along with the food offering that would be happening at the same time. So this is the Israelites, right, having this ceremony to remind the people of how God provided bread, hence the food offering, and the water, hence the water pouring ceremony. So the entire point was so the Israelite people could remember both. Okay? Which, which is the reason for any of the festivals. The whole point of festivals in here is to remind people so they won't forget. So they're, they're reminded of the food that was provided. They're reminded of the water that was provided. They're reminded of their need for that water. Again, remember, we're in the desert. Lot water means life. And this is, this is the Lord's perfect timing. This is when he steps up. And this is when he says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. The timing is perfect. Absolutely perfect. There's two other major things that Jesus is really trying to teach here, and we're going to kind of just unpack these last two things here. Number one would be that before you drink, you need to be thirsty. Which, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of, duh, right? <laughs> when you think about it like that, it's like, okay, that doesn't make much sense. But before you drink, Jesus is saying, be thirsty, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So the, the invitation is not just simply come, but the invitation is first recognize that you're thirsty. So why would you, why would anyone eat? Right? Why would anyone drink? Well, it's because they're hungry, right? It's because they're thirsty. You have to recognize that you, you have a need first. So we understand what Jesus is saying is that we have a need for him. That we have a want for him. That we, we feel that this, this need is drawing us to him. That we understand that apart from him, we have nothing. Apart from him, we are dead or dying. Our sin separates us. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses. If we don't have access to the living water, right, we are dead or dying. 
We are dead in our trespasses, meaning that our sin is separating us. It reminds me of the story in Ezekiel whenever uh, the, they raised the dry, the, the dry bones, right? The dry bones came back to life and everything. Uh, there's a really cool song about it called Rattle, right? It's, it's a really powerful story. And I think what we have to remember is that the bones didn't come back to life because Ezekiel said so. The bones came back to life because God said so through Ezekiel right? It, it isn't that Ezekiel provided life to these dry bones, means lack of moisture, lack of life, right? God provided life when there was none. God provided the living water when there was none, when it was dry. God spoke into it, and then there was life. That's what Jesus is saying too. It's like, apart from me, you are dry. Apart from me, you are in need, And only I can quench that thirst. We understand that our salvation has to come from him. Understand that you are thirsty and that you have to come to Christ. And not just come to Christ, but the next section tells us to believe. Right? That we believe. says, whoever believes. The word belief here in Greek is uh, pastiro, okay? And what, what, what Jesus is actually saying here is that you believe that I can quench your thirst. Or the other word for pastiro would actually be faith, that you put your faith in me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, um, there's, a, there's something that, you know, all Christians uh, believe, and that's called uh, the concept of justification by faith, okay? Meaning that it is that we put our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, right? We believe that whenever he died on the cross and his last word saying, it is finished. We believe that he meant that. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. He did all of it, okay? We have sin. We are thirsting, all right? We are thirsty, right? We need saving. So Jesus steps into it, atoning for our sin by dying on a cross, okay? He died saying, it is finished, meaning our sin is covered completely, 100%, and then raises three days later in order to conquer Satan's sin and death, okay? We are justified by our belief and our faith in what he did, Okay? And that's what Jesus is having us step into, saying like, whoever believes. Whoever has the faith. We had the, uh, let's see, when was that? Protestant Reformation, I think it was in the like 15 or 1600s. And um, in the, in, during the Protestant Reformation, <clears throat> uh, a lot of church leaders, pastors, preachers, they got together after reading most of the New Testament and realized that and there were a lot of like laws and rules and ceremonies and everything that had kind of been quote unquote like added to our faith over time. Uh, and it was coming to a point where those were having just as much say on if you were saved or not than your faith would have. Okay? So it, it was starting to become very performance driven. 
right? How, how well you say this prayer that was given to you, how, how well you give to the church, how, how well you give get communion, right? And make sure that you don't miss a communion service, uh, how, how well you give to the poor, how well that you are a nice person. All these performance baits, like analytics, everything kind of became the, the cornerstones instead of Jesus remaining the cornerstone and our faith in what he had done. And we're seeing that same thing happen to the people that Jesus are speaking to right now because religion was everywhere, right? This is right in the midst of the Roman Empire. I mean, how many gods did they have, right? Religion was a big deal. And the Pharisees not only had the law, but they would add to the law just to keep you from getting close to sinning. And it became a point where the rules that were in place and the laws that were in place and the ceremonies and all these other things, that meant more than what God did. That meant more than what Jesus could do. And Jesus is simply saying, it is finished. There's nothing more to add. Believe, have faith in me. I've done it all. But yet, I think that's something we all still struggle with is our performance-based salvation that we think that, you know, if we just keep our nose clean, we'll make it to heaven. If we're nice to people, we'll make it to heaven. If we give enough to church, we're going to make it to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, have faith in me. I'm the one that atones for your brokenness and your sin. Now, how nice you are. Now, what ceremony you follow what church you go to. It has to come back to the saving power that Jesus has because he steps in and he hears all of the confusion. He hears all of the rituals and ceremonies being used improperly and he just says, stop! Believe in me. Believe in me. It goes against the central doctrine of the New Testament church. Thinking that you are good enough and you can keep yourself clean enough. And she says, you don't have to. Stop fighting for it. And I think oftentimes too, we, we look at our mistakes, we look at where we fall short, and we just simply look at that as this we're just too broken, right? I'm too sinful. I'm too ashamed. I'm not worth it. And Jesus is just simply saying, those that thirst. Meaning, dead things don't thirst. If you're acknowledging your sin, if you can acknowledge your brokenness, if you can look at your life and be like, yeah, man, I'm just not quite getting it. I'm not quite hitting the mark. I'm not quite seeing how, how to, to, to be like Christ, but I want to be. And you look at that as like, oh, my brokenness is too much. I, I can't step into this. And Jesus is saying, dead things don't thirst. If you are thirsting to be better, if you're thirsting to be more like me, that's what I'm asking for. Just step in and believe. 
And we, we have to make this, this belief in the finished work of Christ and what he's saying here in John 7, a central point in how we operate as Christians. As soon as our faith is stepped down or stepped off or just slightly like not the central point of what motivates us, that keeps us from experiencing the very next part of this verse. And that is out of your heart flows rivers of living water. You notice the wording that Jesus is using. It's it's not a trinkle. It's a river. It, It wasn't but just a couple hundred years ago. Like it was a really big deal here to, to be a settlement on a river, right? So uh, Jefferson City, right, would have been a, a river town. Well, it still is a river town. The river's still here. Uh, but it would have been a big deal to be a river town because that's, that's how you get supplies, right? Back then, that's how you get supplies moved. That's where you get your products. That's where you get your food. That's where you get your clothing. All, all of that kind of stuff, right? Being on the river was a big deal because being on the river means life, the further away you get from river, the harder life would get. And Jesus is saying that that same concept, the idea of a river flowing out and providing life to those around, that's our mission. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to go and make disciples under his authority and under his power. But we can't do that if our belief is off. We must first understand that it's not our performance, but our belief and our faith in him. And then from that, rivers will flow out of us. We will influence those around us, bringing life and love. And hopefully bringing them to a saving understanding of who Christ can be in their lives. We start to act different. We start to think different. We start to be different. You start to see an Acts 2 church come back up. The reason why the Acts 2 church was so flourishing is because they acted differently than the society around them. They were outrageously generous. Outrageously generous. They were, they would give to one another whoever would have need. But they also weren't closed off because the church tripled in size during that time. So not only were they generous, but they were also incredibly hospitable. And they weren't afraid to cry out into a confused world in boldness and speak truth in life. And that's how that church grew. As we move into a time of response, I want us to think about how that applies to us here today. Move my table out of the way. Because like practically, what does it look like for our faith to turn into living waters and influence the community we live in? What, is it, what does it look like for someone to openly pray with someone else in the middle of Walmart or Menards or wherever you are publicly 
Because you, you act different, right? You look different. How does it look to be overly generous? Not, not just with your money, but with your time. What does it look like to truly pour into the next generation because you believe, you believe that life only comes from Christ and you want the next generation to believe that as well and to understand that. So you sacrifice your time to teach and speak into that next generation of our kids. What does it look like to be outrageously hospitable? To bring people into your home and to your family of faith and make them feel more than welcome. Just practical steps of what it looks like to have a living water flowing out of us. So I invite you to pray during this time of response. Lord, what does that living water look like in me? How does it flow out? Who does it flow out to? I said, just... Get super practical. Get super specific with your prayer. The very next verse talks about that this living water that pours out is the Spirit. This isn't anything we have to guess about. It it says it, right? It's the very next verse. The Spirit leads and guides and helps us discern on how to do these things next week we're going to have a more, much more in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit. But today, as we pray, as we respond, pray specifically, Lord, I may struggle to believe, but I do. Or I want to believe. And then from that, what does that river look like? And how do I influence others for Christ? Take this time to pray.